I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. I don't know. <laughs> a giraffic jam. Oh, wow. <laughs> that. <laughs> yep, that's what you get. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode Yay. eight. Yes? Yes. Yes, we need to really check that before we, we do episodes. Should... Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, joy, Junk Jesus. Matt, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. <clears throat> My joy is that... Um, we found out that we're having a little baby girl, um, so that's super awesome, because my wife and I were convinced we were having a boy, and we've been right about everyone else's pregnancies that's pregnant except for ours. So that was a very humbling, but also very joyful moment, because we, we didn't really care if we had a boy or a girl, we knew we were just going to love whatever um, gift God gave us. So um, yeah, it's just been really exciting now to know and to start you know preparing and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, my junk is that there have just been a lot of awful tragedies in ministry and in the area in South Orange County that Jenna and I have both seen the effect of in our teens and the schools mm-hmm. in the area. We've lost um, three or four young people in the last month to suicide, and it's just such an an awful, awful thing to just see how it affects the families and the schools and the teens. And yeah. um, So our thoughts and our prayers go out to all the families and uh, we pray for the repose of the souls of those young people and um, just whatever they're struggling with. And if there's any of you listening to this that are struggling with any type of mental illness or loneliness or darkness, whatever it may be, like to find someone that you can talk to and know that you're not alone. And hopefully this podcast today kind of helps that because we're going to be talking about how to draw near to God. Um, and maybe it's a difficult moment in which you need to draw near to him. But just to speak into that right now and just to allow um, you to know that you're never alone and um, any way we can be here for you, um, Jenna and I, please you yeah. know, feel free to reach out and let us know. But that's kind of the junk that's been going on and so trying to minister to those needs and it always brings up old wounds too of loss and you know, you're always kind of reminded of, of that stuff. So um, just please pray for all those people that are affected. Um, but my Jesus moment... Um, or several of Jesus' moments. Um, one of them is Father Tim Grumbach, who <laughs> is uh, supporting us on Patreon, which is awesome. Um, so excited to see that and so humbled by that gift. Um, not only of, of supporting us, but of who he is as a, a man and as a brother and as a priest. And so super excited for that. So thank you, Father Tim. Shout out to you, number 11. What? And, um, and also, we have listeners in... Chile, Brazil, hi, hi, Chile, um, <laughs> um, Canada, the Philippines, Russia, and I think in the UK as well. Oh my gosh, that's so, so cool! We hi get guys, like, yeah, hello. If you speak English, I hope you do, or else you're just what? listening How to. Would they listen? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe someone in <laughs> Brazil is just like, "What is this?" Um, I like their voices. Yeah. Or maybe someone in Chile is like Mana, like the band. I don't know if anyone knows that Hispanic band. But, um, but however you came across this podcast, hello from across the world. Thank you so much for listening. It's such a joy for us to see how this is 
spreading to you know now hundreds of yeah. you know subscribers so, so cool. um please continue to share this this um this podcast with people that you think could benefit from it but anyways rambling jenna what's your joy drink jesus so my joy is um we have a lot of similar ones, Joy Drink Jesus's today. But my joy, I have two of them, is we're also having a baby girl. So our baby girls are going to be, like, best friends, and I'm so excited. Squad. Girl squad. <laughs> Watch out. Um, my other joy is that yesterday I got to go to um, ice cream with my teens, and it was just a constant belly laughing, like, making me pee my pants <laughs> constant for an hour. And it was just so beautiful and so much fun. Um, my junk is similar to Matt's, but it's been, I don't know, it's been really hard to witness all of this happening and then just seeing how, even though so many of our teens, um, may not know these people, they're still so greatly affected by it. Mm -hmm. And so we had a night the other night, um, discussing all of this and then talking about loneliness and depression and, um, just how to work through all of that and how there's always a light but just the amount of teens that were struggling with it broke my heart, and it mm-hmm. just makes me feel sometimes so helpless because I can, you know, I can be there and I can tell them and I can love on them as much as I can. But there's just such a helplessness to part of it, mm-hmm. and it's so hard. Um, so that's part of my junk. But my Jesus moment is so good. Um, every single time I am in mass and the Eucharist is held up, or I'm in adoration. My baby goes crazy, and it is the best feeling because it's such a beautiful moment to know that we're both in, like, the same spiritual place of recognizing Jesus Mm -hmm. and seeing him, even though she can't talk, she can't, like, all she does is kick, like, (laughs) and take an amniotic fluid and, like, do all these, like, really, really simple things, but she just knows, she knows him, and it's just such a beautiful thing to be a part of and to have going on inside of me um i don't know it's just so uh it's such a jesus moment it's so good and god is so good um but today we are talking about drawing near to god and where'd this episode come from this is a sponsored episode sponsored by my parents (laughs) hi mom and dad and kelsey too your sister hi kelsey Kelsey. yes hello friend Um, so yes, this is a sponsored episode and we're so excited to do it, but this comes from James, um, four, four through eight, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Mm. So the verse that we're focusing on is James 4, 8. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, oh, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> and it kind of seems like God's very like, like <laughs> I don't know. He just seems a little angry in some parts of it. Um, and it, we see how he says, you know, don't make yourself an enemy of God. God is jealous. All of these things that can be 
really construed and we can get kind of confused and um, misinterpret and not really understand. So we're going to dive into that today and see what this reading means, see what it means to actually draw near to God because um, there's a lot of different elements that are at play here. So the first thing, there's two things that are happening in this reading. One, it's a wake-up call to us, but it's also this invitation. So it's this wake-up call in the sense that in the beginning of this reading, God is telling us, hello, like I'm right here, and you're allowing the world to consume you. You're allowing the world to be your priority. You're allowing your sin to be your number one, to um, make everything else first. And he's saying, no, 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 I need to be first. I am, I am your number one. Hello, wake up, because I am your God and I am good, and I don't want this life for you. I don't want any of this for you. Yeah, I love this reading because you get, you get like all of James is a wake up call because James, remember James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Um, <laughs> and some people think that that, that that nickname is associated with their mom who comes to Jesus and says like, can my sons be seated at your right hand or your left? And some people think <laughs> she's thunder, but, um, but still you get that brashness of James in this, you know, there's elsewhere in James where you have that, you know, did you not know you ignoramus that faith without works is dead? Like, it's just like, dang bro, like calm yeah. down. So like, he's very brash. And so this definitely is a wake up call, but I think like we have to also like, you could read this and out of context see like, okay, I guess I have to go live in a monastery because yeah. I can't be attached to anything in this world. And I exactly. think the thing that James is really focused on is making sure you realize what's most important and where like priority, where everything else has to fall. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily being completely detached from the things of the world, but not having your life be about the world, you know, run by the world, but yeah. rather our life is about Christ and then we seek to... Find Christ and bring about Christ within the culture, within the world. Um, and there's a big difference between those two things. And you don't have to take it to either extreme, you know, by yeah. completely receding from the culture or completely diving in heads first and not really caring about morality. You know, there is a middle ground that we walk as Christians, especially when we evangelize and seek to live as disciples in the world. Yeah, no, he's not saying that we shouldn't be a part of God's goodness and the beauty that God has created within the world. And, you know... Um, having a community and diving into those things but there's this obsession that we get towards worldly things and um, we need to see you know and reassess where our priorities lie within our heart because there is this active choice of disregarding God's goodness and making everything else a priority and disregarding him completely and just putting him at the bottom and saying you know oh well he'll be there always like he says that I'm gonna be there you know so okay, well then I can do all of this and God's still going to be there for me. But that's not how we're supposed to direct our lives. That's not how we're supposed to um, framework our lives. So it's this reminder, but then it turns into this um, invitation. And it's so funny because, I don't know, Matt, what do you think of when you think of jealousy? Because there's like God's jealousy and then there's jealousy. (laughs) Think of the movie Mean Girls is the first thing I thought of. (laughs) Well, it's just like everything is about what other people have and like being the best and like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You can't sit with us. Like that's the first thing I thought of was like jealous outbursts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like actually really like that. And the color green. That's what I also think of. The this color one's green oh, with envy. Envy. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, so. Just that's being so real. funny. Just being real, Jenna. Like, really? These are the things I think about. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Okay. Green. Now I'm thinking of only green. So 
there's there's the jealousy that we see in the world, mm-hmm. and then there's God's jealousy, and mm. God's jealousy is um a very like healthy jealousy because there's very unhealthy jealousies, and then there's a healthy jealousy. Yeah, you know because we can have um like for instance a spouse, your spouse is supposed to be give you the attention, give you the affection that you deserve because mm-hmm. that's an obligation of marriage. You're mm-hmm. supposed to give your spouse that attention and affection. And if somebody in in that relationship is not following through with that obligation, the other one is like have, has a right to be jealous because they're supposed to have that attention and affection. Yeah. And that's how our relationship with God is. God is supposed to like we have this obligation <clears throat> to give him the attention and the affection that he deserves and if we're not doing that, then God is a jealous God, and He wants that, and He desires yeah. that. There's a difference between jealousy, like God's jealousy, which is a kind of a very fierce desire for intimacy, mm-hmm. versus worldly jealousy, which is a very fierce desire for things that I don't need, or things that I cannot really be intimate with, or yes. should not be intimate with. You know, yes. like I might have a very fierce desire for a Lamborghini, but I can't be. <laughs> Like, have an intimate relationship with my Lamborghini. Some people do. I don't know. But, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know, there's, I'm imagining people in my apartment complex I see every other day, like, waxing their car. And I'm just like, do you do anything? Like, where is your life? Like, um, and my super dirty Kia Rio is, like, parked right next to them. And they're probably like, this is gross. Like, but, you know, it's, it's a, there's a difference there. Like, there's, it's a fierce desire for intimacy. Yeah. And that's what that word jealousy, whenever you see it associated with God, that's what it means. He's not, you know, we're th- we can't think of God in earthly terms. No. No. And so with this jealousy, God gives us this invitation to draw near to him and that he will draw near to us. But then we think, okay, well, how do I do this? Because there's a lot of different ways not to do this. For example, oftentimes we think of we physically need to go somewhere to draw near to God. Mm. Um, we physically need to maybe go to chapel or we physically need to um, go and be out in nature to be near to God. But we see this in the story of um, the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And I know this is kind of a, a weird shift of how to look at it. But in Genesis, there's um, there's this story about how God wanted um, everybody to fill the earth and make it beautiful and good and everybody just decides you know what no screw that we're gonna make like one central place and we're all gonna stay right here and on top of that we're gonna make this huge tower we're gonna make this big tower or ziggurat and we're gonna um make a name for ourselves because of it and so they make this big tower and what's interesting about the um, name Babel in Hebrew, it means gate of the gods. Mm. And so in this sense that they are building this tower and this um, thing to be closer to God, but God doesn't want to be like that. And he doesn't want us to raise ourselves up in this place of power yeah. to be near to him. We don't need to be higher than everybody else are higher than ourselves to get near to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this false closeness that we tend to think of um, needing to be physically close to him. And then I also see this a lot in our own ministry where our teens go on retreat and then they come back and they're like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not close to God anymore. I don't feel God anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's this understand, this idea in their heads that um, God has left them. <clears throat> and there's this absence of him and he's not there anymore. Yeah. There's this like physical absence. He was up absence. on the mountain. He's not here. Yeah. He's not down life. here with me. Yeah. Um, and it's just this broken idea 
of where God is in yeah. our minds. Yeah, and we you can see this in Genesis too. There's you know I don't know if you know this, but there's two creation stories. You know, there's Genesis chapter one where God creates from a distance. You know, we have this very um, powerful, omnipotent God. But in Genesis chapter two, God is depicted as walking in the garden, very mm-hmm. anthropomorphic. And there are two different writers. There's a, a Yahwist and an Elohist writer that came together to help form Genesis. And so we. We have these two different accounts and these two different personalities, you could say, or personifications of God. And over time, especially in like the medieval era and when we had lots of empires and kingdoms, we had a lot of people who had this belief that God um, put rulers or emperors in rule or in a specific place for a specific reason. And so it was very much that power type thing. Like, Mm. let's build a kingdom, let's build an empire all in the name of God because God placed Pharaoh or king or emperor so-and-so in this position. And they are the personification of God on earth in our empire, you know. And we get that sometimes um, throughout history there was a wrong... Um, interpretation of that with popes even where they were like I am literally you know like what I say goes and we do have the doctrine of papal infallibility but that doesn't mean that the pope is always right what it means is that the pope can speak infallibly on matters of faith and morals Uh, he can speak ex cathedra from the chair of Peter um, and establish a doctrine of faith and morals and that's what happened twice in history and that's Mm. all in the last hundred years I believe and both were about Mary and so it's not something that you know is meant to be seen as like drawing near to God is this big like feat of power or we have to go to this place where we have to be this powerful person or we have to be this special individual um but God is accessible in the innermost cells and doors of our heart there's this yeah. passage in Matthew where it says um do not when he's talking about not praying and you know out in the synagogue and things like that and he's warning against like boasting in your prayer and your fasting and your almsgiving you'll probably hear these readings because Lent is coming up um, but he says but when you pray go into your inner room and pray where no one can see you and if you look at the floor plan of most houses at the time um, there was one room and so it doesn't mean necessarily that you can, like go in your room and shut the door and you're by yourself it's like no there's an inner room within us that we can go in the silence of our hearts and pray. Not to say that we don't need church, we don't need the sacraments, and I know, Jenny, you're going to get into this, but um, realizing, like, God is not this distant person, like this Mm -hmm. transcendent, distant, unaccessible being that's just Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're all together, and they kind of spewed out creation, and (laughs) then um, they receded back into themselves until they saw things were really bad, and then they sent Jesus, and then they spewed back into themselves, you know? But, like, God is... There's another version of, of knowing the Trinity that's called the imminent Trinity, but the economic Trinity where God is literally participating in the economy of man, like constantly there present with his creation, walking with them. And that's really what we're talking about is tapping into some kind of inner experience of God. Yeah. And the other thing too is we also hear that, you know, I, oh, I found God. Mm-hmm. Was Where he did playing you find hide him? and go seek? <laughs> yeah. Was he, you know, like... Where we did don't... you find this omnipresent guy? <laughs> we, don't, we don't find him. God isn't hiding. God isn't just like, peekaboo, like, hi, you found me. Oh, oops, okay, let's play again. Like, yeah. that's or not... like the day you get confirmed, you go home and he's yeah. like, gotcha! Like, <laughs> no, but... Boom, I'm here now. <laughs> no, that is not that is not God. He's always <laughs> present. He's always with us, but it depends on where our hearts are. It depends on where we're placing ourselves spiritually. And if we are drawing, you know, moving close to him, which we'll get into a little bit more, but, um, or we have completely allowed sin and, um, all the, all these walls to be put up between us and he's just standing there like, okay, well, 
I'm still here, you know, let's let's work on this, maybe? Oh, okay, maybe not? No? Okay, I'll wait still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, he doesn't go anywhere. <clears throat> he doesn't stop. Um, in Jeremiah 29, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And this is where I think where people are like, Oh, I found Jesus! Yeah. I found God! No, but it's it's our heart. And it's, he yeah. hasn't gone anywhere. It's more of an left. interior discovery. Yes. You know, one of my favorite sayings, um, I can't remember where I heard, I think Bishop Barron articulated it this way, where he says, um, we don't need to go and find God. We simply need to put ourselves in a position to be found. Mm. And that's the big distinction. Is like, is our heart ready and open to allow God to come and find us in his own way and as he is? Mm-hmm. Or are we... You know, I've said this before, are we putting God in an us-shaped box and kind of expecting him to work in this way, expecting to find him only on retreat or only in chapel or only in the sacraments? Those are some of the highest ways we can experience God, especially the sacraments. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't go find sacramental grace like, you know, out in nature. But you, there is a sense of, you know, natural grace, natural um, experience of God that we can tap into and just the internal reality that, you know, we have been baptized into the body of Christ if, if we're baptized. And um, we have access, in a sense, by virtue of having a soul, an mm-hmm. immortal soul, to the divine on a daily, you know, moment-by-moment basis. And it's just whether or not we are prepared to access that. Yeah, so you're able to encounter God in every single moment, um, but it takes what's called a metanoia or a movement towards God, a change of heart, a movement mm-hmm. towards Him. And so how we actually do this, how we're actually drawing near to God... It's an in, um, invisible act of heart. It's your heart that changes. It's your heart that moves. Because in Psalms it says, My soul fir- thirsts for God, for the living God. We all have this longing. We all have this desire. Whether it's something that we have acknowledged, something that we've noticed, or something that we've just kind of pushed down and hid or tried to fill up with other things mm-hmm. um, from this world, that priority thing going on. But... Um, I love this image of drawing near to God is like we we know this painting. We know the beauty that God has put in front of us, this beautiful image. Um, and we can either stand back and just stare at it and get to know it like that, or we can get intimately close to it and see the brush strokes and see mm-hmm. how God has moved and created this beautiful piece of art. And I feel like that is what this drawing near to God looks like. It's actually looking at every single little piece and every single stroke that God has made and designed for us to really get to know him and see because each one is different. Each Mm -hmm. one makes a different part of the picture and a part of who he is. Um, And, you know, sometimes when we look at this, when Matt just said it actually, you know, we can encounter God out in nature. We can encounter God... um, you know, in our friends and on our family. So then what is the purpose of the sacraments and what is the purpose of going to church? Mm -hmm. If you can encounter God anywhere, if you can have a metanoia anywhere, Mm -hmm. then what's really the purpose or the the plan to going? Because maybe I can just sit at home and pray Mm -hmm. and, you know, do this at home or do this in nature or do this with my friends. Um, Really, what's the point? But... If we look at the story in Mark, from Mark 2, of um, 
the man that when Jesus, he's preaching in this small house and there's a paralytic and all of a sudden the roof just starts to rip open. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like debris falling everywhere on these people. And out of nowhere, this man is dropped, not dropped, lowered. <laughs> that was suck. <laughs> lowered from the roof by his friends and placed in front of Christ. Um, and Christ heals him. First, he, you know, forgives them of their sins, and then he heals them. And it's this idea that we desperately, desperately, desperately want to know God, but it's not good enough for us to just be close to him. We need to be healed by him. We need we need these graces that the sacraments and the church give to us. So you can pray and have an amazing prayer life and a beautiful closeness with God, but it's not until we reach out to the sacraments which Christ instituted, that we receive the grace and the mercy that he desperately wants to lay upon us. Mm-hmm. That we see in Mark, we see this story that, you know, it wasn't good enough for this paralytic to just sit on the roof and listen to him and hear him and know him. He needed to come into the presence of him and receive the grace and the beauty that Christ had for him. Yeah, Christ established a church specifically for a purpose. Like Jesus doesn't do anything just because he's like, well, you know, I'm just... <laughs> Sounds feeling, cool. Feeling like you need a little <laughs> bit of extra, you know. I'm I'm bored, you know. And like there was a purpose to everything that Jesus did. Yeah. And um, I think that we sometimes forget that you have a lot of people who identify as like, uh, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious, mm-hmm. or uh, oh, I don't really uh, belong to any type of organized religion. I'm you know um, non-denominational, or I'm not. You know, there's all these different classifications now of people who acknowledge that there's this connectedness to the divine and connectedness of humanity, but um, there's this still this sense of like a spiritual nature to it, you know, that yeah. they're trying to religify their experience of God out in the world. And we've lost this sense of, you know, sacraments and grace because I think we go to the sacraments looking for the feeling, mm-hmm. looking for the experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've probably all felt this when you go to confession, maybe you have a habitual sin that you always confess, you go to confession, you come out and you say, well, I don't feel any different. So I guess maybe it didn't take, or mm-hmm. I guess, you know, like I'm still struggling with this. And that's not the reality. Grace affects us, sacramental grace affects us, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we can experience it or not, it is affecting us every time we participate in the sacraments. And so it's so important for us to realize like that, that is one of the most important things that we can do, we can tap into as Christians, like to go back to that image of a marriage, you know, when we're, if, say if I was just like, if I'm around my spouse all the time, you know, if we're just around each other, um, we're married. You know, like we, we're, we're having a good marriage. Uh, I experience being with my wife is enjoyable. You know, we, we go to the picnic, to the picnic. We go to the park, we have a picnic, you know. Um, but there's, if there's no sharing of intimacy, if there's no like real depth, depth in conversation, if there's no mutual sacrifice, if it's, I'm not willing to get up and cook my wife dinner or do the dishes without mm-hmm. being asked or things like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm not willing to make these small sacrificial acts. Then all I really have is just like someone who's around all the time, yeah. you know? And that's kind of this spiritual but not religious relationship with God. It's just like, yes, there's a spiritual sense that God is around, but where's the intimacy? Where's the depth? Where's the relationship? That's really what God is calling us to. And that's really what affects change in our hearts. Um, and so that's really what the sacraments do in sacramental grace. Yeah. And there's there's so much trust that it takes to go into those things. There's so much trust that it takes to... Um, going to confession and 
to know that you have been forgiven because we, you know, I do this all the time too. I come out sometimes and I'm like, well, hmm. <laughs> dang it. Why don't I feel different? But it takes that trust of knowing that, um, God is going to keep his promise. We don't keep our promises, but he does. Mm-hmm. And falling into that in- intimacy and falling into that, um, just relationship that grows because when you have, you know, when you get to know a friend or you do get to know your spouse, you begin to trust them. It's just a natural thing that happens. You begin to trust that person. And so if we begin to draw near to God and we um, begin to have that intimate relationship with him, we will begin to trust that the sacraments and these things that were gifted by the church and by Christ um, are actually working. Mm -hmm. Instead of, oh, maybe it didn't really work this time. Or maybe Jesus today I really only just took a piece of bread or you know um, we'll begin to trust and know that like he's actually present in there and he's unfailing and he's not going to leave us so there's that promise in the catechism it says sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ which is ever living and life-giving they are actions of the Holy Spirit at work in his body the church they are the masterworks of God in the new and everlasting covenant. So these are gifts. These are things that God has given us to give us life. He doesn't want us to just like look at them and be like, oh, those are pretty, pretty mm-hmm. acts, pretty symbols, pretty things. But know that within each one, there's this specific life-giving spirit that God has gifted us through the Holy Spirit, through the sacraments, um, and that Christ is truly present in them because he wants to heal and he wants to give us this mission this christian life um that we see through these sacraments and there is thus a certain resemblance between the stages of natural life and the stages of spiritual life this is another um quote from the catechism because what's so beautiful about the sacraments is that it resembles our natural progression of life and it also resembles the spiritual progression of life you Mm -hmm. come into church typically you're baptized as a baby new life um, you receive the Eucharist, which you need to sustain that new life. We receive um, reconciliation where it brings us back into the closest of God that sin has separated us. All of these things, anointing of the sick when we become sick because that's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we break. <laughs> Our bodies are not eternal. It's not going to happen right now. Um, and so we need to you know, be healed by that spiritual gift. All of the sacraments are such a beautiful thing that resembles this natural life and the spiritual life that we re- receive in the church. Yeah, and I think that... <clears throat> I mean, so a sacrament, it's a visible sign um, instituted by Christ to give grace. That's the church definition of a, of a sacrament. Um, and I love that word covenant that you mentioned in the um, that first quote from the catechism because a covenant, it's not like a contract, an exchange of goods, but a covenant is an exchange of persons. And so this entry into grace is really just, like you said, this en- entering into relationship at all these different stages of a journey. But I think we also have to mention, like, at the same time, just because you're going and getting the sacraments doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Yes. And that's a sad reality. Like, that shouldn't be part of the reality if we really understood sacramental theology and sacramental grace. Like, there's such intimacy there where God is literally giving him his very life. That's what we call grace. Like, the mm-hmm. the participating in the very life of God. Um, is what, what grace is and how it affects us. And so I think that... There are so many people that just go through the motions 
And I've been guilty of this too, where I go to confession because I'm supposed to. I'm at mass because I'm supposed to. Um, you know, I do all these different things. I don't feel anything different. And I don't understand the deeper reality that I'm in relationship with God, that I just go out of obligation. You know, part of the maybe the old church mentality of pray, pay, and obey. Like, that's it. Um, there's no sense of like, no, there's intimacy here. Mm-hmm. There's an intimacy here. And that's something that is really, that word I think is just really what is coming to me at least um the holy spirit is kind of saying to draw near to god and to allow him to draw near to you there has to be intimacy we get that from the sacraments but we can also that is also an interior journey yeah this is something that we definitely need to recognize is that our our nearness and our desire to be close to god should lead us to the sacraments it's it's not sometimes it happens in the reverse the sacraments lead us to the nearness of god but or our hearts being turned towards him. But um, in order to continue your journey, in, ter- in order to continue that metanoia of drawing near to God, it needs to be that priority of going to the sacraments. And you're still, like Matt said, like you're still, if you're just learning and you're just um, coming to know who he is, it's going to be confusing. Like there's still things that Matt and I are both learning mm-hmm. and discovering in our own faith or having an you know, awakening moment of like, oh my gosh, yes, you are right there. Like, yes, you are in the Eucharist. Yes, I am receiving you. Um, and so it's this journey and this process that we take, you know, 10 steps forward and sometimes we leap, you know, 20 steps backwards. <laughs> it's, it's this continual process and this journey um, that we are heading down, but we need to, st- you know, stay on track and we need to keep moving. And um, it's tiring. It can be exhausting, but that's what the beauty of the sacraments and of prayer and of um, just desiring to be close to God. He will give you the strength to continue forward. He will give you um, those moments and those glimpses of just like knowing like, okay, this is worth it. Like I know you are worth it because you thought I was worth it. Yeah. And that's hard and it's really, really tough sometimes. But um, Pope Francis had said that, you know, the three ways that we need to learn to draw near to him is prayer. So, you know, that can be at home. Prayer can be at home. Prayer can be while you're driving. Prayer can be um, in chapel. Prayer can be, you know, wherever you want. Wherever you, you feel like you can place yourself um, in the presence of God. Then we need to go to the, the sacraments. We need we need to run to the sacraments. Not lazily walk there and be <laughs> tired and annoyed that we have to do them. We need to run to them and recognize um, the beauty of them. And if that's something that you really struggle with, I, I dare you, I, I ask you to seek out the truth. Don't just sit in, in the, your discomfort and your doubt. Actually look for answers. Actually look for um, understanding of what the sacraments mean. Because you might be listening to this and be like, yeah, I still don't get it. Yeah, I still, yeah. Cool. That's yeah. good. Don't like don't can go <laughs> run. Go figure it out. Go talk to a priest. Go talk to um somebody that knows the sacraments and can really talk to you about what's so beautiful about them and what you are receiving within each one. Uh there's so many different resources and places that you can go to find answers. Um but don't just be complacent and sit because if you're going to actually seek out God and you're actually going to try and have this intimate relationship with him, you need to understand his church and why he instituted it mm-hmm. and what's behind it. And that takes a long time, but start somewhere and actually start moving. Um, so prayer, 
sacraments and then you need a community you mm-hmm. desperately in order to continue this, this <clears throat> drawing near to him we desperately need a community that's going to lift us up and that is going to um carry us when we don't want to keep going and um we also need to recognize that we can see god in everybody mm-hmm. it just means that we have to place our self in a place of love um and understanding and see through the eyes of Christ of who everybody is around us. Mm. So we desperately need to dive into those three things, prayer, sacraments, um, and it really, really need a community because it's really easy to fall when you're surrounded by people that don't have the same morals or don't think the way that you do. Pope Francis said, the most important thing that can happen to a person is to encounter Jesus who loves us, who saves us, who gave his life for us. And I think oftentimes we have encounters with him and then we have this like spiritual amnesia and we completely <laughs> forget, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like it, it happens. And so we need to continue that process. We need to continue to encounter him, um, through the sacraments and through the church. Yeah. I love that. It's, it, that's a model of a relationship. You yes. know, prayer is a relationship is at its most basic definition, a conversation. And so say you start dating someone, you know, like that's what it is. You're building a relationship. And then the sacraments is being really invited into the intimacy of that relationship and then also getting to know their family, you know, because Mm -hmm. the church is the family of God and like we're the body of Christ. And so that's what happens. And then community, then you meet their friends, you know, you meet the people who are closest to them and you have this sense of like their community becomes my community. And that's really the progression of any type of intimate relationship. And then in your, in your own relationship, you then become an intimate community between the two of you, you know? And so I think that that is a really good model for us to look at, you know, in terms of our relationship with God. Yeah. Blessed John of Avila said, your life consists in drawing nearer to God. To do this, you must endeavor to detach yourself from visible things and remember that in a short time, they will be taken from you. Mm. So starting back where we started at the beginning of this podcast, we need to prioritize. We need to remember what's important and that he is the most important thing and to place him first so that we can come to this place of intimacy, come to this place of a relationship um, and just continue to walk towards him and move towards him in all of these ways. And it's not easy, but it's also not too difficult because there's been plenty of people that have done it before us, plenty of saints. Um, We're all doing it, but we have to also carry each other to heaven. So, Matt, yes. who was our saint? Speaking of saints, um, so this saint, A, my wife is going to be so jazzed that we chose a saint because <laughs> she is like in love with this guy. And, um, but also, this is someone when you think about intimacy with God, just you'll see by the way that they live their life, um, it's just so evident. And so our saint this episode is St. John of the Cross. So if you've never heard of St. John of the Cross, <clears throat> his feast day is December 14th. Uh, which I believe is the day he died. Um, he's the patron saint of contemplatives, mystics, and Spanish poets. And so he is in a couple different really cool classifications in the church. So one, he's a doctor of the church. Um, and so there are 36 doctors of the church currently. And these are saints who've had like a really profound impact on the doctrine and theology of the church. Um, 
So he's one of those. He was also one of the most um, influential Spanish poets to ever have lived, um, apart from being a saint. So that's why he's a patron saint of Spanish poets. Um, but he's also a mystic, and he's a patron saint of mystics and contemplatives. And this is a really cool category of saints. We don't know how many necessarily that there are, because there's not really like a very clear definition. And there are mystics that are like living, like people who have a really mystical um, relationship with God. And so a mystic is someone who has a deep spiritual intimacy with God, Basically to the point that through their own prayer, their own obedience, they have kind of supernatural experiences of God through either their own suffering, visions, ecstasies, extraordinary extraordinary (laughs) gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you think of people like St. Teresa of Avila, um, Padre Pio, um, all these people who had these incredible gifts and these incredible relationships with God that were so intimate. Um, And the common thing, if you're like listening and you're one of those Catholic nerds, you're like, I want to be a mystic. Um, The common thing among all the (laughs) mystics is that none of them really probably would have wanted to be a mystic if they were asked. And so, sorry. Um, This kind of happens. God allows this intimacy to come about through the people who are really, they've made that interior journey. Um, to know that like my life is not about me and all I desire is to know what my life really should be about and that's mm-hmm. God. And so having that intimacy with him, you know, the, the root of that word into me see. And so like inviting God into the innermost depths of who you are and real intimate relationship. And so that's St. John of the Cross. So he was born in 1542 in Fonte in the district of Avila, Spain. Uh, and that's a very small municip- uh, municipality. There's still less than 200 people that actually live there. So it's Whoa. crazy. Yeah. Um, at least according to Wikipedia. And if I read it on the internet, I believe it. It's so, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was born as one of three sons to a family of um, Jewish converts, actually. And his father and his brother both died when he was very young. So he's left with his other brother and his mother. Mm. And they moved to find work. Uh, his mother moved to find work as a weaver. Um, and because of moving, he was able to find an education, uh, receive an education at a school that was basically for orphans. Um, and he became an acolyte at a nearby monastery, which was the ancient kind of root of altar serving. It was kind of a rite uh, of passage within the um, the... They didn't have a seminary system then, but like a um, a journeying... Well, they did. I think it had just been established. Um, <clears throat> but a journeying toward priesthood. It was kind of like an office of pre-priesthood, you know. Um, so it was a really um, um, honored position to be an acolyte. And so he did that at a monastery nearby of Augustinian nuns. And as he grew older, he worked in a hospital. He studied at a Jesuit school. So he had a lot of religious influence in terms of service and liturgy. Um, so in 1563, so when he was about 21, he entered the Carmelite order and he took the name, uh, St. John, um, or John of St. Matthias. Um, his birth name was Juan de Yepes y Alvarez, which is very fun to say. <laughs> um, so he professed vows a year later and he studied at the university in Salamanca, which was one of like the four big universities that existed at the time, like Oxford, Paris, and one other one. Um, and then he was ordained a priest after four years in 1567. Um, and he actually intended to join the solitary, um, disciplined Carthusian order. Um, but he meets St. Teresa of Avila, um, on like a trip or something. And he starts following her and aiding her. She had this desire to, um, reintroduce this thing called the primitive rule 
in the Carmelite order, which is the order that St. Um, John of the Cross had entered. And it was a rule that was calling for stricter observance to prayer, doing the liturgy of the hours, having personal study and devotional reading, solitude, having devotion to the mass, um, and evangelizing the local population. And so it's kind of apparent that the Carmelite order had kind of fallen out of that discipline practice. <laughs> and so um, they, she, St. Teresa of Avila would recommend that the uh, people wear coarser, simpler habits, uh, and they wouldn't wear shoes. And so if you've ever heard of the, the term discalced Carmelites, that word discalced actually means barefoot. Um, and so that's where it, it comes from, is that they don't wear shoes. So I don't know if that's still what they do, but that's where the name comes from. So John ended up becoming, St. John of the Cross ended up becoming a, like kind of a follower of hers, and he founded the first male monastery to follow those rules um, in 1568, which was just a year after um, he was ordained. And at that point, that day when he founded that monastery, he changed his name to St. John of the Cross. Um, so he kept getting invited by Teresa of Avila to come uh, actually be like the confessor, or the spiritual director to the nuns um, there at the place where she was and the surrounding area. So you can imagine like being the confessor and spiritual director of another mystic saint, like how crazy this guy must have been um, and how awesome his yes was to the things that he was being called to. But in uh, 1575, he had this vision of the crucified Christ, and he drew it, he sketched it, um, and you can go online, you can find that sketch, maybe we'll put it in the show notes, and it actually inspired um, a really famous painting by Salvador Dali called Christ of St. John of the Cross, and it's this beautiful image of the crucifix up in the sky, and it's this perspective image that shoots down through the clouds to this little lake with a boat on it, and it's this really elongated painting, it's really, really beautiful. Um, but anyways, um, so St. John of the Cross is doing this. He's finding monasteries and he's trying to institute this primitive rule. But tensions start to build among the Carmelites, especially the ones who aren't discalced because they are kind of like challenged by the fact mm. that um, they're trying to institute these rules and kind of making them look bad. So St. John of the Cross was arrested by people from his own order. Um, but the monarch at the time, King Philip II and the papal nuncio were both in favor of a lot of these reforms. So they came to his aid and they got him released but again, two years later, in December in 1577, he was arrested by the Carmelite Order and he was taken to Toledo what? where he was tried what? and imprisoned. And then he was lashed publicly often and he was confined in a six by ten cell. He only had the clothing that he wore and he was only given water, bread and scraps of fish to eat. And he spent his time writing and, um, and praying, and then he escaped nine months later. He was able to <laughs> pry the bars open into the cell next to him and escape through that cell. Um, so he was nursed back to health by the sisters that he had served, and then he became a rector of a college. And in uh, 1580, the Pope, Pope Gregory XIII, he allowed for, finally, a separation between the Carmelites and the Discalced Carmelites. So he recognizes this new order as one by itself, and St. John of the Cross writes a whole set of rules and constitutions for them. And he keeps finding monasteries all around and then um, for about another 11 years. And then in 1591, he has a disagreement with the vicar general of the order that he's serving. And he's removed from his post and he's basically sent to like middle of nowhere oh in this isolated monastery in Andalusia. And he dies there um, later that year, December 14th, his feast day of 1591. Um, of erysipelas, which is a skin infection where basically your skin um, swells and oh, um, just gets fun. completely infected. Very, very painful. Oh he's he 49 years old. Um, and so a lot of people gathered at, after his death, taking like pieces of his habit and 
Um, he his burial place was being like it was, was a matter of contention among a lot of people. So his body was like separated. Like someone took his arm, someone took oh his horse. Yeah. So <laughs> he was buried in Ubeda, Segovia, and Madrid, all around to these places where he had been. Um, because it's as as much of like a quote unquote troublemaker that he was. People recognized the like the mystical holiness yeah. and the spirituality of this guy, and they wanted to be close to him even in death. Um, so as I said, he's still considered one of the greatest Spanish poets also to ever have lived. He wrote less than 2,500 verses, but um, his, some of his most famous works, if you're interested in looking any of them up, um, are Spiritual Canticle, Dark Night of the Soul, which I think might oh, have Dark been a term that he invented. I'm not really sure. Um, and then um, Ascent of Mount Carmel and Living Flame of Love are other ones. And then he has one um, called... Um, Dichos de Luz y Amor, sorry, my butchering of Spanish, but it means sayings of light and love that he wrote in Spanish. Um, and a lot of his works have been translated into English. Um, but he influenced a lot of saints and writers and theolo- theologians. Um, if you look on Wikipedia, there are tons of people. Edith Stein, um, I think T.S. Eliot, like all these different um, saints and authors and people who see him as one of their influences. Wow. And St. John Paul II actually wrote his dissertation on mystical theology on St. John of the Cross. So, um, this guy's a boss. So, a couple quotes from him. Um, He says, Strive to preserve your heart in peace. Let no event of this world disturb it. He also says, What we need most in order to make progress is to be silent before this great God with our appetite and with our tongue. Mm -hmm. For the language he best hears is silent love. Mm -hmm. And lastly, he says, Contemplation is nothing else but a secret peaceful and loving infusion of God, which if admitted will set the soul on fire with the spirit of love. And so you see in his sayings, you see in his life that he very much wanted to retreat from earthly things, but also like institute primitive rules in the world and the people who were um, being evangelized by the rule of this order to um, recognize that intimacy with God, silence and disconnection from earthly um, like obsessions was the truest way to happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about what you have. It's not about possessions. It's about your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a commentary, a modern commentary that was written about St. John of the Cross that Bishop Barron always quotes. And that's where I got that quote from of, um, you don't need to go find God. You just simply need to put yourself in a position to be found. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about, you know, this idea of, um, relationship with God, uh, as St. John of the Cross depicts it in this um, this commentator, is like a helicopter landing. You don't need to go reach up and grab the helicopter and pull it down. That's stupid. The helicopter can land. You simply need to clear the ground for it to be able to land. And that's really what our spiritual life should look like. How can I clear the ground of my heart and my life to really receive the intimacy that God is desiring to share with me? Yeah. So that's St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. And St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us. Uh, in the meantime, please like, um, follow us on social media, especially on Instagram, uh, at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram. We post a lot of different announcements about blogs and vlogs and different things going on on there, and you'll get to see when our episodes come out. Um, and also, um, if you want to support us on Patreon, like the awesome Father Tim Grumbach and others and Jenna's parents and Ooh. people that um, can sponsor episodes, um, you can financially support us for as little as a dollar a month um, and that all goes right back into the podcast to um, pay for the different costs and to um, continue to grow this ministry that Jenna and I feel that God has called us to so um, yeah with that being said um, rate and review this podcast on 
podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. Share it with someone who could benefit from it, even if they're in another country. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye, guys. Bye.